0: seems salient for me to connect these two, especially in, in connection with a, uh, a holiday like Thanksgiving, because we we owe everything to God. You know, the psalmist says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And this, again, refers to the graces of creation and preservation, uh, in a sense, logically prior to that of redemption and, and glorification and consummation, which we look forward to. So,
1: Hi again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Radio Free Acton. Uh, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. My name is Mark Vandermas, and uh, glad to be with you once again on the podcast. Uh, The voice you heard at the top of the episode there, Jordan Baller, uh, editor and director of publishing here at uh, the Acton Institute. He's going to be talking with Carolyn Roberts today on the podcast uh, about an article he recently wrote entitled Cheap Grace and Gratitude. Uh, And it's a a discussion on what Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Abraham Kuyper, uh, what what would they have to do with Thanksgiving? It is Thanksgiving week here in the United States, of course, and so an appropriate topic. We'll get to that interview in a bit. And, of course, uh, we have another edition of Upstream today. Bruce Edward Walker is back in the saddle talking with Ray Notstein. He's a writer and editor at the Civitas Institute, formerly of the Acton Institute. It's always good to hear from Ray and uh, Ray and Bruce are going to be discussing highlights in alternative country music. And uh, knowing Ray, uh, that is a topic that he would know a lot about, and it should be an interesting discussion. So I'd encourage you to stick around for today's edition of Radio Free Act, and thanks for joining us once again. And uh, without further ado, let's head over to our content, the good stuff here on Radio Free Act, and the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty.
2: Means what a handshake means and a smile
3: I'm your host, Bruce Edward Walker, and today we're going to discuss recent Roots Rock and alt-country releases with Ray Notestein, a good friend of the Acton Institute and currently residing in Raleigh, North Carolina, where he is an editor for the Civitas Institute. Morning, Ray. It's good to be with you today, Bruce. It's great to have you. Uh, uh, We we miss you here in Grand Rapids, but uh, I understand you're doing some great work down there in, uh, in Raleigh. So let's get started a little bit by explaining to those new to the alt-country and roots rock genres what we mean when we use those terms. Uh, Now, as I understand it, Alt-country's beginnings are usually credited to the band Uncle Tupelo back in the late 80s, early 90s, but there's a, a, quite a bit of country influences that percolated through popular music in the 60s and the 70s as well. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, the Bird's Sweetheart of the Rodeo and the Untitled album with Clarence White and music by the Dillards, and even the Monkees featured country stylings in some of the songs that were written by uh, Mike Nesmith, who was from Texas originally, so... That's not to mention all the the crossover country songs that became pop hits on on the rock music charts, and you know songs by Merle Haggard, Oki from Muskogee, and Johnny Cash, and there was just a a, a lot of music like that. So um, I'm going to turn it over to you and, and let you discuss this a little bit.
4: Yeah, you're exactly right, Bruce. And uh, I'm very interested. I know you are too in the California scene. And when you mentioned groups like Birds and the Graham Parsons, who was so influential with uh, artists like Emmylou Harris and the Explosion of California music, country music that had been around, you know, even the Dust Bowl when all those uh, folks went out west. I mean, just through broad culture, I think country music has influenced every American genre just because it's such a part of the way of life here. It's very authentic. It's soulful. It tells stories. So, I mean, it's had an influence, I mean, far outside of Appalachia or the American South and certainly through the Midwest in agricultural centers. It's been huge. So you're exactly right, and I think that whole Americana rock genre that, that has influenced um, popular music is just continuing to grow and grow to a greater degree. Because I think you know we live in a sort of um, false age in some ways. So I think there's just a there's a hunger for yearning back to authenticity, and I think
3: um, roots country music and alternative country um, provides a lot of that today. Well, let, let's uh, talk about some of the the releases that you and I have selected uh, to uh, uh, inform. Listeners of this week, and uh, the one that uh, kind of struck me was uh, I, I still collect vinyl, and I, I know I'm kind of a throwback kind of fella, and uh, some people would probably attack me for being a hipster, but uh, that's not the case. I have no man bun, but um, I, I bought a vinyl copy of John Mellencamp's new album, Sad Clowns and Hillbillies, and this is the first album where he's actually uh, shared credit on the cover of the album with a, with an artist who has a tremendous respect in uh, the country music circles just because she's part of country music royalty and that's Carleen Carter who is the daughter of June Carter Cash and uh, I I can't say enough great things about this album and uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to it or not but uh, it it starts out with a bang. He covers one of my my all-time favorite country songwriters and that's Mickey Newberry's Mobile Blue which is off the, the amazing album Frisco Mabel Joy and the fact that more people have not latched onto songs from that album to, to cover is beyond my comprehension. It it's, was probably one of the first country folk concept albums. And it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing. And I really think that uh, Mellencamp and his band do a fantastic job of covering it. And uh, I'd like to point out that uh, he has a, a, another fiddle player, Miriam Sturm, that uh, really lifts this song into the stratosphere. It's, it's fantastic. And and if you if you ask me, I I, you know, I think you know Mellencamp may be a staple on classic rock stations, but I, I think his music continues to reveal new heights of inspiration since uh, his major breakthrough in the late seventies, uh, early nineteen eighties, and uh, you, you, we all know those songs and like Jack and Diane, et cetera, et cetera. But th- this for the, the last uh, fifteen years or so, or even in the late eighties with with uh, albums like Scarecrow, he's really proven himself to be a uh, a staunch purveyor of roots themed music where he he sings about uh the, the common man uh everyday relationships and uh i i seriously think that he's one of the the best songwriters in the genre and uh his his popularity really should not detract from that
4: you're exactly right it's a great album i think one of the things that really stood out to me because i'm very familiar with the carter family I listened to the carter family in college and i just sort of forgot that carlene carter was such a great vocalist and I mean so much to the extent of course John Mellencamp's this great American songwriter um, and storyteller but I mean to me on a few of those tracks where she's involved in she sort of dwarfs uh, his voice to a degree I mean she's such a great vocalist and um, it just sort of brought up back memories to me um, when I lived in North Mississippi and went up to Memphis and saw Johnny Cash and um, June Carter and just her I mean if anybody's seen June Carter live just the way that her voice booms and is so powerful I mean, for me, that was so neat to listen to on a Mellencamp album because it just immediately brought me back to that roots of understanding of of the Carter family, and her voice just booms and explodes at at, at several um, tracks, and there's no doubt you're
3: right about Mellencamp as a great songwriter, and um, he really delivered on this album uh, for the most part, in my opinion. Well, I, I actually have a photograph of me in my study with Marty Stewart playing Mother Maybelle Carter's 1928 Gibson guitar. And uh, it's it's wonderful. And uh, I've been a huge fan of Carleen Carter since back in the day. Uh, Her first album, which is self-titled, was one of my all-time favorites. It featured Graham Parker and the Rumor as backup musicians. And she later married the producer of Graham Parker and the Rumor, and that was Nick Lowe, who wound up producing Johnny Cash and uh, Elvis Costello. And I, I just think Carter's voice is absolutely amazing even though you know she stumbled in her personal life and she nearly destroyed what was left of what was a moderately successful career but uh I she works so wonderfully well with Mellencamp and it's so great to see her like rise from the ashes because her her voice is technically and emotionally perfect as a match to Mellencamp's uh let's face it the guy's been Sounds like he's been smoking seven packs of cigarettes a day for the past uh, three or four decades. So let, let, let's listen to a sample from one of the album's many standout tracks, uh, which I consider as What Kind of Man Am I?
4: These eyes you see are masked By thin veneer of tears and Who would known that such a small task Would compromise all these years Cause a liar's guilt is a liar's fate. And man, that's just the facts. For those too weak to tell the truth
3: into darkness, you'll be cast.
4: So what kind of
3: man... Well, I I, I think that this is uh, representative of, of the album uh there there's other uh songs on the album that uh, one of them actually features martina mcbride who is a phenomenal vocalist in her own right and that is a uh, more or less a, a song celebrating living in a trailer park in grandview which i i think is uh, another great song but uh tell me what what are the standout tracks for you well grandview is definitely one bruce um i was really impressed
4: um not just on the storytelling aspect but it had it it, it sort of uh Echoes goes back to um, Mellencamp's earlier career with rock vibes, but it has that deep sort of country soul added to it. And one of the things I really like about Grandview, too, is that it, it just pays homage, I think, to regular Americans. And that's what's so um, important about country music is it does pay homage to, you know, not this escapism or, uh, or things of that nature, but just sort of everyday storytelling and dreams of everyday, everyday folks. So I thought that's really important. Uh, Damascus stood out to me, too, um, written by Carleen Carter. Very, very powerful uh, song. Um, that I think that there was a real um, gospel field of that, and it's autobiographical to a large extent in terms of just the struggles she ha- had in her life. It's very honest and soul-searching, so I think it's something everybody should listen to.
3: Right, and I, I think that uh, she does with Damascus what, what Johnny Cash did on so many of his uh, songs later in his career, where she, she uh, metaphorically addresses the, her trials and tribulations and looks for redemption and salvation. Let's listen to a little bit of that.
0: I had to come to Jesus' revelation. In a blinding light, I saw my soul salvation. My feet don't fall, to my limbs don't ache.
3: Let's move on to uh, Lily May, and she has just released her first solo album, even though she's been performing since she was a child as part of uh, the uh, uh, the Rishes. I believe that's how it's pronounced, and a band called Gypsy. She plays fiddle and mandolin in Jack White's live band. Jack White produced her her, her first album, and she has an amazing voice, and she's a terrific singer. What say you, Ray? You know what I just, um just because I didn't know as much about her and was listening to her for, in some respects, for the first time I've
4: heard of her and, and listened to a couple times but really hadn't delved into her album, um, I saw there's certainly Lucinda Williams' influence in the songwriting and a little bit in the sound, but what really stuck out to me more was I heard echoes of Dolly Parton. Not so much on the vocal side because Dolly's got that, such un, that very unique voice, but um, in terms of her storytelling and some of the um, I think there was a song, um, remembering the title, it was called um, "These Days," I think, and it just, it almost had a hint of "Code of Many Color" in the way that she just tells a story, and some of the uh, melodic overtones, uh, overtones in that um, piece, Uh, "Honky Tonk and Caverns" really stood out to me as well. I mean, a powerful, powerful song that really, to me, is one of the most retro country songs on the album, and I was really impressed by that. Obviously. Her vocals are great. I mean, to me, what I really appreciate about her is you get that sense of her bluegrass background. Um, She's a great fiddle player. I mean, top-notch fiddle player, and you can tell she's been doing it a long, long time. It comes out in her album, and um, I was just impressed. Uh, I would say for the the vast majority of the album was impressive to me, and Jack White does great stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of what he did, with the Loretta Lynn album from a few years back. And so uh, this was just impressive all the way around.
3: I I could not agree more. Let's listen to a little bit from uh, the track number three called Wash Me Clean. Just starts so simply and purely before the buildup. and and I, I this is something that had not occurred to me until you brought it up. There is definitely a, a Lucinda Williams vibe to this, and uh, you know since we mentioned Graham Parker in the past, I saw Lucinda Williams tour for Sweet Old World with with Graham Parker back in the day, and uh, it was one of, probably one of the most memorable shows I had seen in the early 1990s. And uh, I, again, I can't say enough good things about this, this album. I, I think that uh, for anyone with a, a passing knowledge of country, alt-country, or roots music, that this would be a, a really, really fine purchase or uh, listen to on any of the streaming services. Well, let, let's close out a little bit with a, a, a selection that you uh, picked out, and that's Sunny Sweeney. She has a new album. Or a recent album that was released this year called Trophy, and I'll I'll let you carry the ball on this one because I, I'm less familiar with with Sweeney than I am with the uh, the previous. Two. Sure,
4: Texas country music is some of my favorite, as it is most people. Sonny Sweeney's been around in in uh, Texas country music scene for almost a few decades now, and um, I'm always impressed with her. This album Trophy is somebody is something people should check out because. Here's somebody who's um, been authentic. I think um, a few a few albums back, I can't remember the name of the album, but there was a famous single on it from a table away. It had much more of a Nashville influence. And I was like, oh man, not to say she was selling out, but she was definitely trying to, I think, become more relevant as an artist. And um, Sweeney has decided to ditch that whole um, model and that whole path and uh, has really embraced her Texas roots to a large degree in Trophy. There are three songs that really stick out to me, and I would have to say, um, Bottle By My Bed, which is autobiographical. She does a great job of telling stories about struggles that are, her, are going on in her own life, and this is something that Nashville and the country music, the wider country music scene should be, be embracing instead of this sort of bro country mantra that, you know, we have to suffer through over the airwaves. But another song, is Nothing Wrong With Texas, Important um, to Embrace Where You're From, and she does a good job in that um, song. I feel like Hank Williams tonight, nothing better than paying tribute to, um, in my opinion, the greatest country music writer and singer of all time. So um, she's just tied to tra- tradition. She sounds like Texas. She um, is Texas in all her vibes. She's proud of Texas. And so I think it's an album people should um, check out. She has a very unique voice and um, she's just been influenced by some of those great Texas artists. And um,
3: she's country to the bone. I mean, she's someone to listen to, I think, regularly. Well, great. Ray Notstein will exit listening to a little bit of Sonny Sweeney as I thank you for joining us today to discuss alternative country releases and Roots Rock music. So for Upstream, I'd like to thank my producer, Caroline Roberts, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Thank you,
2: Ray. I play classical music when it rains Country Join us on November 29 in Winter Park, Florida, to hear Sean Mulholland take on inequality. Dr. Sean Mulholland is professor of economics at Western Carolina University and will address what is really going on with income inequality. Inequality in the United States has increased over the last 50 years across a variety of measures. Public debate often centers around the notion that the rich are getting richer at the expense of the poor. Is this analysis correct or is there something missing? To find out, you can register at actin.org slash events. Roberts, producer of Radio Free Acton, and I'm here in the studio with Jordan Baller, the Senior Research Fellow and Director of Publishing here at Acton. Thank you for being with me today, Jordan. Good morning. So today we're going to talk a little bit more about an article you wrote for the Acton blog a couple years ago, actually, but I wanted to revisit it because I think it has really important themes in it that are pertinent to the holiday coming up, which is Thanksgiving. Um, the name of this article is Cheap Grace and Gratitude. You can find it at Acton.org. So, Jordan, the ideas in this are revolving around common grace, cheap grace, and how that is differentiated from saving grace. Um, So first, let's define our terms. How exactly do you define common grace? So
0: common grace is a a term and an idea that's uh, associated with the 19th century Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper. And one of the simple ways to understand common grace is an attempt to explain why things are not as bad as they could be. So for Kuiper and for the Reformed tradition, as well as Christianity more broadly, you know, you look out into the world and you see uh, non-Christians, you see the natural world, and certainly you see a lot of evil there, um, because we live in a fallen world, but you also see um, sparks of grace, sparks of virtue. You see um, that things are not as bad as they could. They could be, given what our view of the, the radical nature of the fall into sin is. And so it's an attempt to understand how God preserves the world, continues to allow it to exist and to develop it positively in some ways, um, and why things are, 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 again, not as bad as they might otherwise be, given our, our view of what sin means.
2: So you connect these ideas um, with giving thanks. Uh, at the holiday. But first, I'm going to ask you, what drove you to make the connection between Bonhoeffer and Kuyper's ideas with Thanksgiving?
0: Um, well, I've been thinking about these two figures <laughs> for a long time, and there are a lot of interesting overlaps. Um, and so Bonhoeffer has this idea of cheap grace, which you you read in, in his book, Discipleship. Uh, the themes come up in a couple other places, but at the beginning of Discipleship is really the famous place where he talks about cheap grace. And there he's talking about saving or special grace, which is, is contrasted with common grace. And he's saying that the, the Protestant, the, the lowercase kind of evangelical view of grace is that it's a free gift of God. It requires no response from us. It's, we're entirely passive in it. And that taken to an extreme and understood only in a one-sided way, this results in a view of cheap grace, where, where grace is essentially costless. It costs nothing of us. And that a natural human response then is um, to take it for granted and to, to count on it always being there. And so um, that's what it means for Bonhoeffer for, for saving grace to be cheap, that we can basically live however we want. We can live as if our lives have not been transformed by grace, as if it's always going to be there no matter what we do, and to take it essentially for granted. And so in connection with Kuiper and doing work on Kuiper's View of Common Grace, I thought you know, this is especially true, obviously, for, for saving grace, but it's true for all of the gifts that God gives us, the common ones as well as the special redemptive uh, grace that he gives us. So, um, you know, it, it, it seems salient for me to connect these two, especially in, in connection with a thank, uh, a holiday like Thanksgiving, because we, we owe everything to God. The earth, you know, the psalmist says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And this, again, refers to the graces of creation and preservation, Uh, in a sense, logically prior to that of redemption and and glorification and consummation, which we look forward to. So um, it's an attempt especially to take Bonhoeffer's really important point and then apply it more broadly to all of the good gifts that God gives us, whether we might call them common or mundane or special.
2: And you quote Bonhoeffer as saying, cheap grace means grace as bargained. Basement goods, cut rate forgiveness, cut rate comfort, cut rate sacrament. Grace as the church's inexhaustible pantry from which it is doled out by careless hands without hesitation or limit. It is grace without a price, without costs. Do you think that one of the ways grace is cheapened, one of the driving ways is our forgetfulness of the cost of the cross?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the point Bonhoeffer makes is grace cannot be costless. It cannot be cheapened that way because of Christ's sacrifice. And that's the fundamental reality that gives it value, that gives it meaning, and that um, should make it real for us. That um, what makes it grace is that we were unable to do it and that it's offered on our behalf. Um, Christ's sacrifice is given for us. But what makes it not cheap is that it was a real sacrifice and that it was a it's a sacrifice that continues to have ongoing um, significance for us. And so one of the ways I think about it is... Um, you know, what's the appropriate response when you're given a gift? It's to say thank you. Mm -hmm. And so that's um, essentially, I think the kind of posture that we need to have with respect to these gifts that we get from God, whether they're Mm -hmm. the gifts of life, the gifts of material goods, um, food and shelter and these sorts of things, or the promise of eternal life that we have in Christ is to, you know, have a posture of thankfulness towards him. Um, this is how the Heidelberg Catechism describes the life of faith as a fundamentally the life of gratitude. Um, and so this is a really important lesson, I think, for understanding what it means to live under grace is that, you know, it does require a response of some sort. It's, it's entirely appropriate that we be thankful for what we've been given and, um, and try to live that kind of a transformed, thank, thankful
2: life. And related to the common grace, it is so easy to forget all of those tiny, I mean, really intrinsic things that we should be thankful for in our everyday lives. How do you suggest that we combat this forgetfulness of the profound grace of the cross and also the tiny uh, things that we should be thankful for, those common graces every day?
0: Well, it is certainly human nature to take for granted those kinds of things. Um, maybe it's its just a feature of our fallenness um, you know, there's an ancient proverb that familiarity breeds contempt. Um, that has to do not just with say your neighbors, but <laughs> the familiarity with all those yeah, like you said, um, the things that we take for granted or that come to us seemingly naturally, invisibly, without our own effort every day. Um, you know, I was we were talking about this actually this week at a panel that we had. Um, and anthony bradley who's a a scholar here as well as a professor at the king's college said that one of the exercises he does with his students is in the weeks leading up to the thanksgiving holiday has them do a journal of all Mm -hmm. the things that are kind of thankful for so there's a sense in which trying to cultivate that um that sense of intentionality of of being perceptive of all those things you otherwise take for granted Mm -hmm. um in the piece i talk about prayer is really important for that trying you know when you when you Give offer a prayer of thanksgiving, you have to obviously think <laughs> about those things, um, and that helps us to reorient us. Prayer, at its most fundamental, is subsuming our will under God's will, and so that helps to reorient our, then our priorities too. Um, we seek his kingdom first, and that helps us to rightly value material goods and all of these common graces that we um, should be thankful for, but then also properly relate to these uh, spiritual and, and eternal realities. And so those are a couple of the the suggestions I have for um, ways to make this lesson more concrete in our lives.
2: I have one more question for you. And I think one of the most important things that we can do when we try to remind ourselves of both the common graces every day and grace with a profound cost is to be in the Word and read more, especially, I mean, of Bonhoeffer and Abraham Kuyper. I'm sure. So do you have books that you can recommend um, for our listeners,
0: Bonhoeffer's really um, moving take on common grace is in the beginning of the book Discipleship. That's in paperback sometimes, is called the Cost Cost of Discipleship, and it's really just the beginning. It's like the first chapter or two. So it's a large book, but to get that um, that lesson from Bonhoeffer, you only have to read the first couple of chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, more more broadly from Bonhoeffer, I would say for I always recommend a book called "Life Together" for him. If you've never read any of Bonhoeffer's own work, it's that's short. It's it's dense in in the in the sense of really being rich and full of insights, um, but it's the best kind of single, I would say, textual introduction to Bonhoeffer's mm-hmm. thought. For Kuiper, um, we've got a book called "Wisdom and Wonder," and that especially relates to the ideas of art or scholarship and and science. Um, uh, but there he provides his definitions of common grace and works out on, in those two areas, and that's a really mm-hmm. accessible way. Um, the other author I would mention, I guess, is C.S. Lewis. He's got an important um, little essay. I think it's included in God in the Doc, but you can find it just if you Google it. It's called Work and Prayer, and it properly relates these two kinds of responses that we have to God's gifts.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much, Jordan, for that. Um, this is Caroline Roberts for Radio Free Acting.
1: And with that, we come to the end of another edition of Radio Free Acton. Thanks as always uh, for listening. Uh, and uh, in a time of Thanksgiving, as we are coming up on the long Thanksgiving weekend here in the U.S., uh, we want to offer our thanks to you and, and let you know uh, how grateful we are for everyone who listens to this podcast, who subscribes to this podcast. We really do appreciate it. And uh, we wish you and yours a wonderful and blessed Thanksgiving. And uh, as we head into the holidays, the same for uh, for your Christmas as well and New Year's, uh, we, we uh, extend our, our warmest wishes for a, a wonderful holiday season for everyone. Uh, special thanks today, of course, uh, goes to uh, Bruce Edward Walker, as usual, for doing such a great job with the Upstream segment. Uh, Ray Notstein, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. It's always good to hear from you, and uh, you are always welcome on the podcast here at the Acton Institute. And, uh, of course, thanks to Carolyn Roberts as well uh, and Jordan Baller for joining us to talk about Bonhoeffer and Kuiper and Thanksgiving. Carolyn Roberts and Daniel Menjivar handled the editing and uh, producing duties today. We appreciate their work very much. And, uh, again, thanks to you for joining us here on the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. If you're interested in knowing more about our work, and our efforts to build a free and virtuous society. You want to know a little bit more about what we believe and what we do uh, every day, every week, every year? Well, head on over to our website. Acton.org is the place to go. We've got the Acton Institute Power Blog there, tons of multimedia archives for you to play around in, and uh, just a, a whole boatload of content for you to examine uh, right there at Acton.org. So We hope you'll try that out. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and we will see you on future editions of Radio Free Acton. Have a good day, everyone.